Welcome to Concept to Creation, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs who share their business journey. We'll hear what motivated them to turn their dreams into a business. They'll share stories from the trenches of business, from raising capital, creating products or services, navigating regulations, hiring employees, and managing competition and growth. We'll discover their successes and failures, and they'll provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host and fellow entrepreneur, Mike Conrad. Welcome to episode six of the Concept to Creation podcast. Well, I'm the host of this podcast, interviewing entrepreneurs within the electronic assembly industry. Several people have asked me about my story of entrepreneurship. I was recently interviewed by Dr. Mike Stahl from California State University, San Bernardino, where he is a school director, professor, department chair, and program director of the Inland Empire Center for Entrepreneurship. Dr. Stahl recently had, had me on his hot seat program, where we discussed the founding of my company and the nearly 30-year journey since that first day of my company. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mike Stahl. Hi, Mike Stoll here again with another episode of The Hot Seat. And this time we're out on location. We're in Corona, California at a company called Aqueous Technologies that started almost 30 years ago. They're a leading company in developing environmentally friendly cleaning products for the electronics and aerospace industries. And so I'm really super excited that we're gonna be here with the founder, Mike Conrad, who's gonna share with you his experience and what it took to take aqueous from the very beginning to where it is now and how as an entrepreneur he's had to evolve and grow and change in order to stay successful. Well welcome Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have a successful entrepreneur join us on the hot seat and tell us a little bit about their experience in starting and launching a business. So why don't we start there at the very beginning, how did you fall into this um, opportunity and become an entrepreneur? Well first of all this is the first I've heard this is a hot seat. So I guess if you said that, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have shown up, no. Um, how did I start a business? The, the stock answer that people who know me just roll their eyes when they hear it is I lost a bet, which, which is not true. But um, I did not intend to start a business. I'm not one of these people that grew up uh, like a, a born entrepreneur that just wanted their own business. So you, you never dreamed of starting a business? You're, you didn't have uh, parents that owned a business or anything like that? My dad owned a, a small printing company uh, when I was uh, probably 18, 19 that I helped him run. Okay. But that, that didn't, that probably persuaded me not to own a business right. because yeah. he, he basically purchased a job, right? right. And uh, it, it was kind of diminishing returns. And yeah. you know, now those businesses are gone completely. Right. Uh, but what my inspiration was, was I, I worked for a company in the high tech world, the electronics world that I'm in now. And I saw an opportunity to create a new product um, based on some environmental laws that were coming out uh, starting 1989. There was going to be a 10-year phase out of certain solvents that were used to clean boards, right. right? And those solvents were going to go away. And it was a huge, a huge environmental treaty called the Montreal Protocol. It was so huge that eventually it was ratified by every UN nation country. Wow. It, Every single member nation, I think there's 218 member wow. nations, somewhere around there, every one of them. There's only been two treaties that have been ratified by every UN nation country. One was the Geneva Convention and this one. Wow. You know, and, and I say that these days, 
I don't think if, if we said, let's, let's make a treaty and agree the sun comes up in the morning and goes down at night, nobody would agree, right? right? Yeah. We're so polarized. But I, I saw an opportunity to use a different technology using basically water and soap, to put it very simply, uh, that would avoid using those solvents that were on the 10-year phase out. And I was naive. I was uh, in my late 20s. Okay. And I, I went to my boss with this idea and uh, said, you know, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread and we're going to make all this money. We'll all be millionaires and blah, blah, blah. And he turned around and said, no. Mm. So I pleaded. The greatest motivating word right there. No. Right. I have another <laughs> word that started the company, which I'll tell you about. But uh, so long story short, uh, I, I then made an offer to him. I said, look, what if I take on 100 percent right. of the risk? I'll develop it on my time at night and weekends. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. So we agreed that as long as there was no investment from him. It was all on you. All on me. And I, I felt passionate about it. So I developed this new technology with a, a buddy of mine, a, chi a childhood buddy of mine, who's very clever. And we developed this machine and I took it to him and he was impressed. Uh, and, and we happened to be a few weeks away from a trade show. And I said, let's just throw a caution to the wind. Let's just, I'll stick the company logo on it. Let's throw it in the trade show and see what happens. And we sold like five machines wow. in, in three days, which was amazing, right? So then I was in this dilemma where I was spending nights and weekends building and 40 hours a week selling right. two separate, you know, different sides of the, of the fence. And I realized that I'm a clever inventor, but I'm not really good at running a business or, or manufacturing machines. My, my hands aren't connected to my brain the right way. So I... Uh, made an offer to sell him the technology. I figured we're selling a lot of these machines. The company wasn't doing well prior to that, starting to do better. I'll just sell him the rights to the machine right. for my out-of-pocket, not even a profit, right. my out-of-pocket. So I, I sold him the rights to the machine. And then I, I falsely assumed that I was going to be kind of the king of the forest. The next time we have a product development meeting or a, a strategic planning meeting, I'm going to be carried in on a chariot. I'm going to be fanned by you know with grape right. leaves and and all this stuff, and, and that wasn't the case. Mm. That was in my head. So I came up with the next generation idea, which was to have a machine that has no drain. You know, we got rid of the solvents, which right. was great, but now people were asking, well, where's the water going? Uh, so I said, I think we're gonna need to fix that problem before it becomes a problem. Right. And uh, he wasn't interested and, and said no. And I was so personally affronted by that, considering I was right the first time. I thought I had all this credibility, which I only lived in my head, as I said. So uh, he's, I said his name. I said, I, I think you're making a mistake. And here's the four-letter word that starts with F. It's not the one you're thinking. <laughs> that started my company. He looked at me very dismissively when I said, I think you're wrong. And he goes, fine. That just knocked me at the knees, right? All my motivation, all my passion... All, everything I thought I had earned, right. I realized didn't matter. So yeah, ultimately you weren't the one in control, right? It, it, no. It was his so company, I, so he, he made the rules and... Yeah, yeah, kind of the golden rule. Right, he who yeah, has the gold yeah, makes the rules. Right. So I went home and sulked and, and kind of told my wife how unfair life is. And, yes. and at some point, either she said something or we came to this conclusion, well, that's such a good idea. Why are you, why are you trying to get someone else to pay for it? Right. If you really believe in it, why don't you do it? Right. So that's what I did. I, I gave my notice and uh, um, 
started the company uh, that I currently own uh, 28 years ago. So Aqueous Technologies is born from your work experience mm -hmm. and the time you spent in, in a particular industry, learning about how these machines work and what the customers need and where the industry is going and, sure. and all the changes in regulations. And uh, this is something that um, you know, is like a, a great area for anybody who wants to come up with a business is to kind of draw from their work experience and what they right. know about particular industries and where those opportunities are. And you, you, you cite a great example here where um, oftentimes people believe that, well, all the companies that are out there, they're, they're taking advantage of all the opportunities and they're serving all the customer needs. And this is a great example of, no, oftentimes companies don't do that. And they, there are opportunities, even though there's all these competitors out there, right. these companies out there in the industry, there are always opportunities. Right, and in this case, we found an opportunity in a piece of environmental legislation. And at the time, in our industry, the, our entire industry was freaking out because it would be like the EPA saying, okay, in 10 years, no more gasoline. Right. Start making other plants. Yes. Yeah. No more gasoline. Everyone first thought it'll never happen. It's too dramatic. It'll never happen. They'll poke holes in it. And then the last year before the actual phase out of those chemicals, the, the industry trade magazines on their front cover was like 12 months to the Montreal Protocol, and wow, then next month, yeah. 11 months, and then five, the four, countdown yeah. to Armageddon. Yes. And the industry experts were all saying that, that all the countries that did not sign on in the early days to this environmental legislation, um, you know, so-called third world countries, right. will benefit. All the manufacturing will go there, and the U.S. will, you know, disappear into yeah, the dirt. And so... A lot of people were really concerned about that. I looked at it as an opportunity. It's like, well, let's do something different. Right. Well, it won't work as good. Well, what are we comparing it to? We're comparing it to something that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Maybe it doesn't have to work as good right. in the early yeah. days. Maybe it just has yeah. to be an alternative. Interesting. So that's the, the, the tact that we, we took. And, uh, and, and it's been a fun ride over the last 28 years. So you're, you're in your late 20s. Mm -hmm. You're... Um, somewhat dissatisfied with your job, um, you see an opportunity and you decide to go for it and create this company. Um, thinking back on that, when you started the business, what do you think were the most important skills that you needed to have to be successful, to get that business off the ground? Well, I think anyone who's gonna start a company with no experience, particularly at a younger age, which I was, uh, the skills required to start a business is naivety, arrogance, <laughs> ego, and a very poor assessment of risk, right? Yeah. You need all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And because if you were smarter than that, if you were wiser than that, you would look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, statistics that say 25% uh, of all new businesses fail in the first year, by year five, 50%, right. by year yeah. seven, you know these numbers, by year 10, 70%. It's a horrible bet, right? right? It, yeah. it, the chances are, are so bad yeah. uh, when you start a business. So you need to have a poor assessment of risk. You need to see something other people don't see. Right. Uh, and I think that the naivety or ignorance uh, is helpful because you don't see the risk. You only see the upside. And you allow yourself to throw all your passion, all your blood, sweat, and tears, and I mean those three words literally, yeah. uh, into starting something that no one else in the world at that moment saw as an opportunity. Right. So you're either crazy or you're just crazy passionate, <laughs> both. And so those were the skills that got us off the ground. 
So now you, 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 maybe you sell yourself a little short because you, you talked about um, the risk component, but um, it seemed like you had done sort of a risk calculation in your, your, your mind that the industry was going in this, this direction, that there really was no turning back, right? That, that, that somebody was gonna have to come up with the innovation and right. kind of be the leader in, in this change. There's an existing market, there's customers, you can identify them using your experience in the industry. So it seemed like you made kind of a, a logical um, uh, bet, so for lack of a better term, that you know you did the sort of the calculus in your head and said, the, the odds are, you know, it's it's a risky proposition, but I, I like my odds. Right, I liked my odds. I, I didn't think there were odds. I just thought, you know, I wrote a business plan, and I still have it. it if, if I'm looking for a good laugh, I'll, I'll go through it. <laughs> I wrote a business plan because I realized I need money. And, you know, we were young and, and didn't have any, you know, deep resources. We were kind of paycheck to paycheck. My wife was working at a bank and thankfully she was because she kept the money coming in as yes. I could go, you know, play in my little uh, entrepreneur playground. Uh, and it, I, I just didn't see the downside. I right. only saw upside. That's part of the naivety. That's part right. of the, yeah. the, the uh, maybe even ego. Um, that I can't fail. I didn't even look at the odds. And, and I wrote a business plan and I gave it to three banks. And uh, all three, of course, sent me that, that dreaded letter. Yeah. We're sorry to inform you. Yeah. And then I kind of realized my first lesson that if you need money, you can't get it. And if, right. you, if you have plenty of it, it's plentiful. Plentiful, right? Yes. <laughs> By other sources. Yeah. You have to prove you don't need it in order to be right. offered it. Yeah. And uh, unless you have an investor. Success attracts money. Success, success attracts, attracts money. If everyone success, wants to yeah. pile on right. once you're successful. I remember once the company started gaining some degree of success, I had one particular employee who said he wanted to buy in. Mm. And I'm like, you know, the time for that yeah. was when all the banks were It was were a couple years ago, yeah. Right. I mean, well, I, I don't want a business partner <laughs> yes, now. Yeah, I don't yeah, need one. Yeah. So and that was several years ago. Interesting. So, so thinking back... Um, to that time when you, you took that leap and decided to start the business. Um, you know, what, back in those years, what, what were the biggest challenges you faced in, in launching it and growing that, the, the company? Well, the first three were money, money, and uh, money. Money, money, right? money, yeah. We were hand to mouth. So the, I couldn't find a source from a legitimate source, you know, like a bank right. um, to fund me. So I went to my dad. Now my dad and mother both friends and are family immigrants. Yes. My dad came from Poland, my mother Scotland, and my dad I was convinced when I was younger was the cheapest man on the planet because he just, you know, he didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot growing up, but yeah. we had everything we needed. Right. But there was no extra money. I think the most he ever made in his entire professional career was about $35,000 wow. a year, you know, which you can make working in an Amazon warehouse right, right. now, yeah. probably more. So I thought, well, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to ask my dad. And it's just one of those Hail Mary passes, right? right. So I asked my dad, I, I did this business plan. I calculated cash flow pro projections as best as I could right. back then. Yeah. And I figured I needed 30,000, 35,000 is what I asked for. And my dad said, okay, let me talk to your mother and I'll get back to you in a week, which was, well, I can't even say it was a long week because I already knew what the answer would be. I just right. figured I'd I'll kick myself if I don't right. ask. Yes. So he summoned my wife and I over to the house and uh, said, your mother and I have talked about it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm already getting ready yeah, for the concession yes. speech. And he said, um, we don't think $35,000 investment in your company would be a good idea. And I'm like, get it, dad. Yeah. No problem. Thank you for even considering it. He goes, 
we think you're going to need 70. <laughs> 70 might as well have been $70 million. It right, might have been $70 yeah. billion dollars yeah. because I didn't know what $70,000 looked like. And what year was this? This would have been 91. 91, 91 okay. or 92. Right. Right okay. So with $70,000, he actually took a second on his house. His oh house my. was paid for. Wow. And he took a second on his house to fund me, which was amazing as I look wow. back. It was absolutely amazing, particularly compared to his- incredible vote of confidence. Oh my gosh, yeah. He had more confidence than I did, which that's when I started getting nervous, right? Yeah. Because I, if I stiff a bank, I, can, I, I don't want to do that. It's sort of impersonal. But it's kind of impersonal, yeah, yeah. right? I, I get a bad credit score for a few years and I work my way back up. I can't stiff my mom and dad, right. particularly since they, the funds came from a second on their house. Right. So about uh, two months after I started drawing from that, um, it turned out that when my old boss said, fine, uh, he and I left and started competing with him. He, he took that heart. very personally. Yeah. No, he took it very personally <laughs> and decided the way to get back at me would be to sue me. Ah, so we yes. were served one day. Someone came through our front door and we were served a subpoena and we were being sued for 12 causes of action. Breach of contract, which I never signed one. Um, um, breach of fiduciary responsibility, unfair business practices, fraud, I mean, kicking puppies, shooting JFK, right. I mean, everything. So, so, so because you had taken your great idea and- Which he said no to. It, which he said no to. Right. He, and pursued it, he was now having a change of heart and thinking, wait a second, oh, that, yes, that, that, was, that was mine. Absolutely. Because you worked for me. He had a change of heart. Suddenly it was a, a idea I must have stolen from. Right. So we, I called him up and I said, let's just, I was convinced I didn't do anything wrong, but I just wanted this to go away because I didn't have enough money yeah. to fund a lawsuit. So I said, can we settle this somehow? And he started laughing. And I said, well, I don't want to see you in court. You know, he goes, and then he, another one of those kind of demeaning, fine kind of things. He said, uh, uh, if you ever think you're going to make it to a courtroom, you're, you're, you're a fool. I'll bleed you dry before you ever get to court. And he pretty much did. So the 70,000 just got sucked up, wow. went to the lawyer. Uh, and then... We didn't. We would get an order. We didn't have money to buy parts. Mm. I mean, literally, we were out of money, out of money. So little money that I was going through garbage cans in the office to, uh, where we threw away envelopes that came in the mail, right. looking for stamps that weren't canceled, oh, so okay, I could yeah. tape them onto the yeah, envelope right. and mail a brochure out to a right. customer, yeah. right? Because we didn't have a postage meter. Yeah. So uh, one customer called and said, "We want to place an order," and I didn't know what I was going to say, and the words just kind of came out. Well, it'll be half down. Deposit, yes. Deposit, 50% <laughs> deposit. And they, they, I don't know what they look like. They were on a phone, but I can only imagine, uh, based on his voice, he said, we're not going to pay a deposit to a new company. And I said, well, then we're not going to sell you a machine. Right. And I think there was just so much confidence because there was no other choice. Right. It wasn't even arrogance at that point. It was, it, it was just being desperate. Yeah. And, and every customer from then on out paid us a 50% deposit. We took 50% of the 50% and paid the lawyer. Right. We took the... 25% bought parts. And then when 30 days or whenever after we shipped the machine, they sent us the other right. 50%. And we sent 50% to the lawyer and 50% to cover payroll. And we just did this for several years. Wow. Uh, and until so we crawled out of debt. Uh, we had a trial. It actually went to trial. Uh, it was a two-week trial in Superior Court. Wow. And uh, they lost on every single, every single uh, wow. count. And, and we were awarded a significant amount of money in attorney's fees, yeah. which we never saw because they immediately filed an Five appeal. Yeah. So I, this is when you start getting kind of smarter without realizing right, you're getting yeah. smarter. I called my attorney and I said, tell them to drop their demand 
tell them to drop the appeal. We'll drop our demand for the money. And she was horrified. She goes, you can win this. I said, how long? How long right. for the appeals court? Right. Three years. How much is it going to cost me? 50 grand. Do I get that back? No. no. Yeah. So I just said, no, settle it. We're done. Right. We'll both walk away wounded. We'll get our, 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 we'll get even in the field, right? right? Yes, Organically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which we did. Yeah. And <laughs> which tell, I took great pleasure in. Yes. And tell me, is that company still around? They are. They have uh, like three or four employees and they yes. basically service machines that they built so uh, they really, back when I worked there. So they're really not a substantive company. They're not anymore. part of our, yeah. our uh, industry. Shell, they're not a shell of a company. Yeah. Right. They're just yeah. selling spare parts. So you effectively put them out of business. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'd like to think so anyway. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure there was other factors yeah. too, but I like to think I was a big part of that. Well, you were, and if he ever calls me and complains, right. fine. Yeah. Fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> fine. Yes, that's a, that's a, a good word. Fine. Yes, yes, fine. Yes. Good four-letter word. So, um, so now you, 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 you survived all the, the typical challenges of a startup in the, those, you know, the early years where you, you know, you're on a shoestring and you're trying to get customers and you're juggling things. And, and I would imagine you were doing um, a lot of the work yourself, you know, sure. You know, uh, in those early stages of business, we, we say that's the doing phase where Chief the entrepreneurship does, the entrepreneur does everything. Yeah. Um, but eventually the business starts to grow. And, you know, what what are the challenges at that point for you? Well, I've, I've long said it, this would be the absolute perfect business if it wasn't for employees, vendors or customers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't really mean that today, but there was a time when... Yes. And yeah. any one of those would, would flare up and I'd have to put out a fire yeah. with a customer, a vendor, or an employee. Uh, and, you know, we started realizing the importance of systems. We didn't have any, I was a system right. and the few people I could talk into working with me were, were part of the system, but we really didn't have a system that was scalable, right? It, mm -hmm. was, it was like a restaurant with five seats. And once you fill the five seats, you can't grow anymore. We were that restaurant with five seats or five tables. Yeah. So eventually we started investing in systems and... Uh, they were kind of dorky systems at the time, but they were far better than what we were doing. Right. And now, when you say systems, tell me what you mean. Oh, inventory that. control systems, purchasing okay. systems, yeah. payroll systems, uh, all uh, all those types of, of so things. things that you could bring in a new employee and they would be able to right to like do the manual. job without you know, like a like yeah, a manual yeah. how to build a machine. Yeah. I mean, I can show them how to build a machine, right. but they would have to be very um, very quick learning right. in order to to stay here. And if they couldn't figure it out, we'd have to go find someone else who could and and we kind of set some people up to fail because we didn't provide the support so it sounds when you say systems and, and processes it sounds like it makes me think of a fast food establishment where you can drop an employee in and train them and they can do the job repetitively over and over and they can be yeah. cross-trained to do different things and yeah. and and you're going to and you're going to turn out a consistent product yeah. every single time exactly i worked at for two years, from 16, I started on my 16th birthday. I was so desperate to work to my to around 18 or so. I worked at McDonald's, ah, okay. and we that's probably physically the hardest physical job I've ever had wow. because you were busy the whole time, and and you kind of learned the art of if a supervisor was watching. You picked up a rag and you just started cleaning stuff. Right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're cooking anything; just right. stay busy. Right. So I, I think some of that got in me. Right. At least the need, or at least the ability to know we needed to be kind of like a McDonald's right. uh, in, in uh, not so much in quality. I wouldn't right. say McDonald's is top quality, right. but they are consistent. Right. So if they're bad, they're consistently bad. If right. you think it's good, it's yeah. consistently good, yeah. no matter where you go. So I, that kind of probably planted the seed that, 
there's a need for that. I didn't see that for the first few years. Well, you're so busy doing, just trying to get it up and running. And, right. And well, you're so busy working on the urgent, you don't work on the important, right? You're just constantly putting out fires. Right, and, and probably even at that early stage of the startup, um, ha putting those systems and processes in place would be time that would be taken away from other pressing issues right. like getting customers. Machine. I have to and, get paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have time to right. do a process. Collecting, need, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, collecting your money. And, right, so you do what you have to do. Uh, which is part of the, and I say it kind of facetiously and kind of, uh, uh, I kind of mean it, the, the skills required to start a company, those horrible skills. Yes. That kind of lets you do those things. You know, you're not too big to empty the garbage. You're yeah. not too important yeah. because I'm a CEO of a company. Uh, I will load a truck on the forklift. I'll make a delivery in the back of a truck. You know, I'll do it myself. I'll go out and repair a machine I, I, we, because there's no one else to do it. Right. Or I have to pay someone else to do yes. it and I don't have the money. So, uh, but, but those skills eventually, I think those skills, well, let me back up. I think the reason why 70% of businesses fail in 10 years, new businesses fail in 10 years, is because people don't switch gears. I like to liken right. it to the gear shift of a, of a manual transmission. Yeah. Young people listening today probably don't know what a manual transmission is. What is a manual transmission, is, right? transmission? yes. But, it, we but know. there was a day when you used to have to press a clutch <laughs> yes. and, and change from first to fifth. And you had to do the work of going through the gears that the, the automatic transmission just does, does for you. you right. Yes. So you start off in first gear, and I, I liken the skills required to start a company are basically your first gear. Mm -hmm. You can't start in fifth, you burn right. the clutch up. You have to start in first. Yeah. So first gets you going, it's highly leveraged, and it gets you going very yeah. quickly. And then at some point, you start redlining the tachometer, and you need to switch to a different skill set, yeah. which is gear two. Right. And then you have to switch to another skill set. Each skill set will fail you yeah. at some point. And I think the reason why some businesses fail in one year is they never get out of first. And the reason they fail in five years is they never get out of third, yeah. because they run out of skills. So it sounds like it, it takes a different set of skills um, at, as you grow a business than it, than it takes at startup. Yes, I think it takes at least three sets of skills. There's a startup skills, which is you know trial by fire. Then there's uh, growth skills. And then there's sustainability skills. Yeah. And we are at the point in, after 28 years, uh, we used to just be very growth oriented. I was convinced the solution to every problem was to grow. I found out later that that was actually the introduction of many problems. Yes. You know, we used to have a saying, we have good news and bad news. The good news is we got another order. The bad news is we got, we got another, another order. order. Yeah. And we had passed through in our evolution of growth from a few hundred thousand the first year to you know, uh, 800,000 the second year to a million and a half and then 4 million and then 5 million and 6 million and all the way up. Um, only looking back, I realized we had several sweet spots where we made the most amount of money and then once we grew a little bit more, all that profit went away because we have to invest in more infrastructure and right. more systems yeah. for fewer sales. So right. there are all these little sweet spots. Yeah. So I realized not too many years ago that growth is for the well-funded. Growth is, right. most people can't afford to grow. Yeah. If someone tomorrow said we want to order a thousand machines, we couldn't take the order. The order. There's no way we'd take the order because we would alienate all of our good customers because right. we wouldn't be able to service them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Amazon has a similar problem right now during this pandemic where you know, they have a hard time servicing their regular customers because they're trying to put masks and sanitizer out there. So, and that's causing a lot of risk for Amazon because 
are they going to alienate their you know their prime members who want a right. big screen TV for thirty dollars yes. delivered in a day, right? So uh, we were kind of in the same boat. I I realized that growth is not growth alone is not yeah. the way out of your problem. It is usually introducing a whole another variety of problems. Yeah. You talked about systems and processes, and you know this this idea that you know, you as the business owner have to have to start to evolve with your company so that the, the, the skills that you are vital, essential to you as you start your business are completely different as you grow and your business matures and that you have to make those transitions. And I've heard you you use the the example or analogy of like uh, shifting gears in a car, you know, uh, current cars. Um, all have automatic transmission yeah. and it does it for you. Yeah. But back in the old days, we drove cars uh, where you could actually do the, the gear shifting yourself and you had to, had to actually had to watch the, watch the, the RPMs of the, yes. t the engine and make the shift yeah. at the right time so you could go faster and keep sure. going. And that is that essentially how you have to run your business? Absolutely. The, the, you cannot, if the goal is to get up to 70 miles an hour, you can't do it in first gear. Yeah. If the goal is to start in fifth gear, just hit the road running, you can't start in fifth right. gear. You'll never go two feet. So you have to go through the gears. You have to go through uh, all the shifting. And I think the same thing applies in life and in business. There's not a whole lot of difference between driving a car, raising children, um, you know, navigating high school and college and career. It's all a question of shifting gears. What works for you in high school will not work for you right. in your adult life, yeah. right? It, it, I guarantee you, yeah. or you'll, or I mean, people try all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we read about them and we feel sorry for them because they just never kind of get on the train. They don't evolve. They don't yeah. evolve. They don't and everyone has, it. you know, I don't know where my limit is. I mean, well, I, I kind of do. I'm past the point of running this company. I don't run this company anymore. My team does. Yeah. I work from home. I, do a lot of public speaking. I do podcasts, all on, on in my industry. So you're you're essentially the Richard Branson. Well, I, without the money, you're a company. Yeah, so without his company. without his Richard fame. Branson, the, C, yes. the CEO, the founder, right? Of yeah, the Virgin I, Group. Last which, I checked, I didn't have a private island, but yeah. maybe someday. But, but he the, has 300 companies under his umbrella, and he's the visionary. He's for the, every one of them. He's the person that gets them started, but right. then he hands them off. Right. to these really talented people because right. he knows his skill set isn't in the day-to-day -day stuff. Right. When you start a company, you're convinced you're the smartest person in the room, in the conference room. I don't want to be this. I want to be the stupidest person in my conference room. I want to be surrounded by people right. way smarter than me yeah. because that's how I'm going to be successful. That's how I'm going to make money. That's how my company's going to be successful. That's how our customers are going to be satisfied. That's how we're going to make a difference in the world yeah. is to for the founder not to be the smartest person in the room. You know, so you want to surround yourself with bright, talented, driven, passionate people with skills that I don't have. Well, that that seems like it would take a remarkable restraint of of the entrepreneur's ego. <laughs> the ego, you know, I, obviously I still have an ego. It, it just doesn't show itself. It's put in a dungeon and, and padlocked. Um, but yeah, you have to. I think it's just part of the journey. It's part of first gear. Yeah. First gear is high revs. When you're cruising on a freeway, you get the best mileage. Your your revs are your tachometer is very low. Yeah, hey, your RPM. You know, I drive a big car. Yeah. When I'm doing yeah. 80 miles an hour, I'm doing about 1,500 revolutions per minute. Yeah. If I slam it at my accelerator down at a green light, I'll go up to 6,000 RPM. Yeah. Well, that's the ego. Right. And at some point, we have to be able to leverage what we can, which is what a transmission does, yeah. and 
um, learn that there is more and less, yeah. and there is less and more, at least in not every business, but that's our business case. We make a whole lot more money now doing a little bit less business. Yeah. We choose our customers as much as our customers choose us. Mm, interesting. They don't realize that. We are in a, a in dating. Yeah. And we, when we kind of, after the recession of 2008, only comparable in, in cataclysmic events to the current pandemic, right. probably, um, we realized that ego was causing us to give huge discounts to really cool customers so our competitors couldn't have those right. bragging rights. Yeah. I would have been cheaper just writing them a $10,000 check right. and not building them anything. So essentially a quality versus quantity yeah. approach. So we decided that we're gonna, we know the kind of customers we wanna sell to. And the irony is whenever we gave a huge discount to somebody, whenever a customer led with price, not quality, if they led with price, not only do we not make any money, they are the worst customer. They are needy. Their yes, machines always yes. need attention. Yes. They're not happy. They're yeah. always threatening. When we lead, when we follow customers that don't lead with price, but they lead with value or they lead with yes. how can you solve our problem, they become part of the solution. They, they are partners yeah. with us. We're selling a machine, but they're partners with us because they have to operate it. Yeah. And they end up giving us advice and they end up um, helping us even if there is a problem, yeah. they help us work through it, which helps them as well. So we, that took a long time to, to learn. Well, it's a, it's a hard thing because you're in business to, to, to uh, every entrepreneur is competitive sure. and you want to grow your business. You don't, you don't want to be um, behind the curve and, and be kind of fighting an uphill battle. Uh, and you have your ego involved. Uh, we all do. Um, and so that, that top line, that, that revenue number, we often say to our, our students that it's a vanity number, right? Sure. And that the bottom line is, the, the, is, a, is, is more important because that's, you know, the, the, if you're always striving to get bigger and bigger and bigger, but that bottom line number, that what you, your ultimate profit, if that's diminishing, um, that top line becomes an even bigger vanity number because it's meaningless. You it really is sustainable. To me, success is not revenue. It is security. It is happiness. It's comfort in doing what you love to do. Yeah. And you know, I feel like I won the lottery because I all I do now is what I really enjoy doing. Right. Yeah. I didn't enjoy building machines. I didn't enjoy sweeping the floor. I didn't enjoy pounding pallets together. I didn't enjoy going out on airplanes to fix machines when right. they broke. But that's what was, I had to do. That's my first gear. It was a part of it. Yeah. So. That's interesting because you you know you've now identified you know that there's often um, we can classify entrepreneurs over their life cycle if their business survives long enough that they start out you know really as an entrepreneur in the sense that and they'll always carry that with them but that that early stage where they're doing everything um, but they ultimately have they have to evolve into a manager being able to manage people and processes and systems mm -hmm. and recognize what they need to do to to get their business to the next level. Um, but also importantly, they have to be a leader and they have to understand when they need to get out of the way and when they need to empower people. And it sounds like, you know, in the early stages, you're the entrepreneur. Uh, but as your business grows, you've got to acquire these other skill sets and, yeah. to be successful. Yeah, I think um, one can lead by example and one can lead by turning the responsibility over to other people. And if I lead by example, that could be inspiring to some. If I lead by saying, Mike, what do you think? Yeah. What would you do? 
this is your company, what would you do? That's hugely inspiring. And, and then I hear, you know, sometimes I hear wonky kind of suggestions and like, okay, I'm, that's weird. But sometimes I'm like, I never thought of that. Right. And we are all victims of our own experience. You know, we see everything through a lens, we see everything through a filter. And if we tried it once before and we failed, we will never try that again. And all we remember is we failed and we hate failure, yeah. right, as entrepreneurs. So yeah. uh, I think by bringing in fresh talent, by bringing in a new version of naivety and ego yeah. and all that, but not driven by the founder that way where we make foolish decisions, I think that um, inspires the next generation. You know, almost I'm the oldest guy here by, by a considerable margin. My team is younger, yeah. uh, and, and not to say that old or young makes a difference, but because they're younger, they haven't failed at things that I have tried and right. failed at. Yeah. So they don't know. Yeah. That's the naivety. Yeah. They said, why don't we try this? And I think to myself, <laughs> well, good luck. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll watch you fall, and I'll, help, I'll pick we... you up. And all of a sudden, they're yeah. successful at it. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's where your ego gets just beat yeah. down, because I thought I knew it all. Yeah. And... The more, uh, my dad had a saying, the, you learn your whole life and you still die stupid. And I don't think that's a great educational <laughs> yeah, message yeah, for yeah. young people. But I think the point is, uh, the more we think we know, really is the more we don't know. Right, yeah. you know? And to know that you don't know is a gift. That's a yeah. huge gift. An important part of being successful as an entrepreneur, we often say, is you have to know what you don't know. Right. And you have to be self-aware and you have yep. to be con con continuously learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never think you know it all. So, That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I feel comfortable where I am today, but I know, I guarantee you, this time next year, I'll, I'll evolve. Right? I have yeah. to. But the important point, I think, and it goes back to kind of what's sort of evolved into the theme of this, this whole topic in this interview in, on the hot seat is that what, you, what makes you successful when you start a business is not what makes you successful 10, 15, 20, 30 years later. Yeah. The, the ingredients for success to start a business are the exact ingredients for failure to, if you yeah. stay in it long enough. Right, yeah. What starts you kills you. Yeah. And, you know, we grow up with baby food and formula and, and, and we can't survive on that, right? right? So well, to... I grew up as a kid eating at McDonald's and, you know, pizza and all that kind of right. stuff. I would love to be able to survive on that. But I obviously my nutritional needs change. Everything right. changes. Yeah. And I think that is so when I when I. Even though the statistics are terrible, they're only terrible because the founders don't evolve. Right. They don't shift. Yeah. There, I think if a person is willing to start off in first gear and go through the gears or bring people in who can go through the gears, the chance of failure is actually rather small. Yeah. I think you can totally put that on the inverse, yeah. uh, maybe even more. I think the reason businesses fail isn't because businesses are bad. It's because people yeah, yeah. don't have the skills to go through. Right. They get stuck in a gear a, and they can't go further. That's a great point. Um, so fascinating information and really appreciate you sharing all of the, the years of experience that you've had as an entrepreneur, because that's, you know, that that's an important part of all of our learning is to learn from other people's experience and, and what they have to say and kind of put that into our toolkit. Um, so I, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. I want to close by asking you, is there anything I didn't ask you? Well, the most common question I get asked is, 
when are you going to sell your business or what's your exit strategy? Exit strategy now is not to exit. It's to step back mm -hmm. and do what I enjoy doing. Do I love public speaking. I love my podcasts. I love yeah. webinars. I like all this digital stuff that we're doing now uh, for my industry and some right. other things I'm involved in. Uh, so I'm in my I'm, I'm just in my nirvana place, my happy place when I'm yeah. doing stuff like that. And my team is equally happy because I'm not here. <laughs> so if I come in, I change the vibe because yeah. I'm the founder. I'm the guy that, you know, they think might the, shoot down on the boss is here. Moment. Yes, the boss is here. Yeah. In fact, I used to joke whenever I walk into the factory floor where we're sitting now uh, several years ago, I would hear a whistle, a, a particular oh. note. And, the alert was and I didn't realize it until I probably heard it 30 <laughs> times. And I realized, oh, wait a minute, that's me they're warning people about. It's like, you know, officer on deck, you know, yes, but, with, yeah. but a subtle way to say it. Uh, so I realized that I no longer can add value to the systems that we've put in place, uh, that other people have put in place, yeah. um, to the sales strategies that we have. I add value by being a cheerleader for our company. And I'm an ambassador of our technology yeah. and what our technology, how our technology changes the world right. in completely astonishing ways. And that's what I do. So I don't know if me giving a speech results in a machine sale. I know that like the old school locomotive, you know, back in the days that we had steam engines, we had the engineer who drove the train and we had the fireman who shuffled coal into the furnace. Right. What I do, what my team does, is shoveling coal into the furnace. I don't know what piece of coal took us from mile one to mile two. I just know we shovel coal into the furnace, it builds up energy, and the company moves down the track. And, and again, it reinforces the fact that um, you've evolved. You have to evolve as a business owner over time for the business to continue to thrive and grow. I, I think I'm in 10th gear. If there is such a thing, I'm in tenth gear right now. So that's great. Well, when you get to eleven, when we get to 11, eleven, is the important gear. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell it's me a, about it's that. It's an inside joke. Oh, it's an inside yeah, it's joke. An inside okay, joke. I'll tell you later. Tell me off yeah. camera. The, yeah, the, I don't want to scare the, 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 the young yeah, people. on camera. They won't know. Okay. okay, it goes to eleven. Is the joke? It goes to eleven. So, yeah. Well, um, I'll look forward to hitting eleven. Okay, and, good. Good. Uh, and it's just a joy to watch my team just create. Yeah. new ways of doing things yeah. and and far better than i ever delivered again part far of, better than part i ever of that delivered. evolution yeah understanding yeah. your role and that's and part value. of the ego thing we talked about you got to park that ego because otherwise the ego won't let other people do better yeah so because it bruises your ego so at some point ego goes by the way of second gear and and uh, you replace it with uh with passion mike thank you again for sharing all of your years of experience as an entrepreneur with us and i know that uh, that the students watching this are going to gain really some great insight uh, from that experience. And that's the whole thing. It goes back to what you said. You've got to be constantly be learning and, and evolving. And so we're doing this as a part of our Upstarters Discovery Camp for high school students and, and teaching them the basics of entrepreneurship and hoping, you know, not only to give them some basics about the process and the knowledge and the competencies you need, uh, but also maybe to, to ignite a little uh, passion and fire and enthusiasm towards this pathway in entrepreneurship. Um, from your experience as a successful entrepreneurship entrepreneur, what advice would you give to our high school students? Um, follow your passion. If you have a great idea, it almost is a requirement that everyone we know, everyone you know, will try and knock you down. Will try and 
kick that idea off the pedestal. Uh, if you believe in that idea, follow that idea. And know that it's not gonna be easy. Nothing in life that's easy is worth anything. Uh, it, you're gonna have to work for it. Don't let others dissuade you. Listen to your heart, listen to your gut, and follow that. And use all the skills that you have. Even if those skills are not gonna be the required skills later in your business, use your ego if you have an ego. Use your naivety. Be arrogant. Don't be afraid to fail. Failure is wonderful because you learn more from failure than you do success. Uh, and, and just follow your dream. And the, it will work out. It, it really will work out. If you're willing to follow your dream and you're willing to realize there's things you just don't know and just open a space for that. Just keep an empty part inside you for things that you're willing to learn. Listen to others, but ultimately it's your business. It's your idea and make it unique. Put your stamp on it and uh, follow your heart and uh, be willing to fail. Be willing to fail. That's the, the biggest thing. Sound advice and uh, advice based on many, many years of experience. Lots of failures. Yes. And yeah. you know, the, the idea is have a few better ideas than worse ideas. But if, you, if you're too afraid to make a decision, you'll never make a decision at all. If you don't wanna fail, you'll never put yourself out there. Yeah. And in the beginning days, the, the terms, no guts, no glory, no pressure, mm -hmm. no diamonds, no risk, no reward. Those are wonderful terms when you're an early entrepreneur. Those terms will kill your business right. when you're older. Yeah. Then it becomes more safe decisions right. and savvy. Yeah. But in the early days, you gotta put it out there. You gotta yeah. risk, you gotta be willing to risk everything. And you have to be willing to lose everything. Uh, and it, the consolation prize is if you lose everything, you're actually a more desirable sure. uh, yeah. employee or, or, or partner yeah. in, in a business because I'd rather work with someone who tried something and failed than someone who right. only has seen successes because yeah. you only have so many good hands and well, you're going to use them all. They often say that being an entrepreneur is you sort of live life in dog years. You know, that you, you, one year as an entrepreneur equates to seven regular years. That, that And as a as a young person, that kind of experience, as you said, will be incredibly valuable. For yeah, I'm the 419 next. years old yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mike, thank you again for sharing all of your experience and uh, wisdom with us in this in this about this journey of entrepreneurship and reinforcing this idea that you know to be a successful entrepreneur, you really have to change and evolve and grow. And uh, I think this is incredibly valuable uh, advice and experience that our our uh, students will learn from. Well, thank you for all the work you do and, and with, the, with the school, uh, and in particular with the younger kids, with the younger people, uh, high school students. Uh, I didn't realize I had an opportunity to get into my own business until I was you know, 30-ish. And uh, to know that these things are possible and to um, get maybe inspired or start thinking in that mindset um, as a teenager, as a late teenager, is an amazing advantage. So thanks for what you're doing. It makes me feel like I'm gonna see uh, some young, uh, older high school students after they graduate college sitting in your hot seat and I'm anxious to uh, see what they're doing. Mike, thanks again for joining us on the hot seat. Thank you, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Concept to Creation podcast. A special thanks to my guest, Dr. Mike Stahl, 
for allowing me to rebroadcast his interview with me. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. The Concept to Creation podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so many other podcast sites. A video version of this podcast is available on the Concept to Creation YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button and then click the bell icon to be notified when there are new episodes available. We release new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Thanks for your feedback. Please keep it coming. Send me uh, your suggestions and feedback to my email address right down here. Thanks again for listening or watching. Stay safe, stay healthy, and of course, stay happy and keep doing it right. We'll see you again very soon. Meant to be free.